Hey, it's Samuel, and this time I'm coming to you from sunny Silver Spring, Maryland. Relatively Prime couldn't have happened if 340 people hadn't dug deep between their couch cushions and backed it on Kickstarter. For this episode, I want to single out Richard Lucas, Alan Farrell, Dwayne, Carol O'Hearn, and Alex Liu, as well as my Kickstarter producers, Daniel Murphy and Edmund Harris. But don't worry, if you don't have a couch, you can still help out by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. I'm sure you've heard this a lot, but this is really a huge part of how iTunes determines which shows it lists as popular. At last count, Rel Prime had 46 ratings in the U.S. store. I know that we can get that up to at least 50 by next week if we all work together. For the last couple of weeks, I've been telling you about Exitex posters and their amazing posters of Pi and the complete works of Shakespeare, all of which are made up of the actual contents of Pi and the complete works of Shakespeare in tiny, tiny letters. But what I haven't told you is that they also make necklaces and keychains. You can get the first 3,445 digits of Pi, or the first 739 prime numbers, all of them fitting into a tiny area of less than half of an inch on a necklace or a keychain, and let everyone know that you know just how awesome mathematics is. Find out more at exatexposters.com. That's E-X-A-T-E-X-T posters.com. And now for Relatively Prime. Other duties as assigned. I think mathematicians do this all day. Mathematicians, I think, spend the day trying to quantify meaning to things that well, we don't necessarily always think about. They uh, hunch over desks with large pieces of paper in front of them and uh, really big uh, pencils, those like really, really big pencils, um, so that when they sharpen it, they don't like just immediately just lose the pencil. I think mathematicians spend a lot of time wondering how to make a living by being a mathematician. I just imagine you're just like furiously using pencils all over the place. And I think you uh, like uh, have furrowed brows and like stick your tongues out of your mouth. Um, you're just like thinking really hard. I'm pretty sure what a mathematician does is he goes down to like a factory. It's kind of like Lucy and Ethel in the chocolate factory and there's a conveyor belt with math problems to come along and he grabs them and he uh, solves the math problem and puts it back on the uh, conveyor belt. Oh, that's my cat in the background. Minnie, what do you think mathematicians do all day? What do you think? Yeah, no, Minnie, I don't think they do that. Anyway, um, my cat doesn't know math and neither do I. Goodbye. I want to thank my friends for sending in those recordings of what it is they think that mathematicians do all day. And guess what? They got it all right. And they got it all wrong. Except for Minnie the cat. She wasn't wrong at all. Mathematician is an insanely broad job title. It can encompass everyone from professors to government employees to podcast hosts. Yes, I still consider myself a mathematician. Hey, no, I am. 
I am a mathematician. You be quiet. I am a mathematician. <sighs> and all of these different types of mathematicians, they do very different work in very different ways, except for that one constant. Okay, except for those two constants. What Minnie just said, and that they all, do mathematics. This is Relatively Prime, work in the mathematical domain. I am Samuel Hansen, a mathematician. On this episode of Relatively Prime, I bring you two interviews with mathematicians talking about exactly what it is they do in their very different jobs. Oh yeah, and I resurrect the first podcast that I ever hosted. I probably should have left it dead and buried. We're just going to have to see. I'm definitely not starting there, though. I want to ease us all into that. So first, let's start with the type of mathematician most recognizable to most people. The academic. Okay, uh, so first thing I will need from you will be for you to say your name and basic introductory info. Sure. Oh, you know I'm so good at this. <laughs> All right. My name is Anna Hench, and I'm a professor of mathematics at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. See, we've done this enough that you are now good at that. It's easy now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, uh, can you tell me what you do? My job title is that I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Mathematics and Computer Science. But what this means is that what I actually do varies greatly depending on what month of the year we're in. So my life is basically split into two pieces, semester and non-semester. So when I'm in the semester, the way my life looks is just totally different from the way it looks when I'm out of the semester. In the semester, I'm being a professor, which means I'm teaching classes and holding office hours and planning lectures and meeting with students and doing a lot of things around the department, which if you've been to college, you can kind of guess what that looks like because it looks exactly like how it seems from the outside, right? And then during the non-semester part of my life, then I'm usually traveling. So this summer was actually a great example of what my non-semester life looks like. I almost circumnavigated the globe for mathematics. So I went from the Pacific Ocean on the Hong Kong side all the way to the Pacific Ocean on the California side, stopping at many, many points along the way. And it was mostly for math and conferences. So I had, I was meeting with a collaborator in Hong Kong for a month, and I had a workshop in Lumini and right outside Marseille in France. And then I stopped off to visit uh, my family and some friends in Europe. And eventually I went onward to the West Coast where I had a conference in Oregon and a conference in California. And then I was back in Montreal visiting a friend for a while and then down to DC for a conference. So it's just like being slingshotted around the globe. And it's a week of intense conferencing and then maybe a little bit of relaxation. Week of intense conferencing and then maybe go visit your family. This is how my life looks. I don't know if that's typical. But certainly there are a class of mathematicians for whom this is typical. I can say that. So that's a very mathematical way of phrasing that. Uh, <laughs> there, there exists a subset, <laughs> a non-empty subset at that, certainly because I'm in it. I mean, the, the conferencing and the, the travel thing, 
uh, aside uh, for the for the actual say semester part of your life could you uh, explain a little bit more detail what your actual like work responsibilities are sure so my work responsibilities are threefold we'll say and this is pretty typical across academia the expectations of of me by my university are split into a service component this is like service to the university service to my department service to my profession and this includes things like serving on committees, advising students, helping organize conferences and events and things like this, refereeing papers, writing reviews. This is all under the service umbrella. Um, then I have my research expectation. So research is like actually doing new math. So this is publishing papers, working with collaborators and anything that's towards my research goal. And then there's the teaching component. That's the third component. And teaching is exactly what it sounds like. I have some number of classes I have to teach each semester. And part of teaching is the preparation of materials, right? So even though for a particular class, I may be only standing in front of them for three hours a week, there's a lot of pre-preparation that goes into it in writing lesson plans and all of that. And then after class, there's all of the assessment type stuff that need to think about. So how am I going to evaluate students, the actual grading of students, thinking about little tweaks I need to make in my uh, course plan to adjust to what is always kind of an evolving classroom, right? You never know, no two groups of students are exactly the same. And you always notice this every semester, any, you can't really have a set game plan, right? There needs to be a lot of wiggle room. So teaching is pretty consuming during the semester. When you're when you're coming into a uh, a classroom, or when you're coming into the university, uh, say, not today since today is a holiday, but uh, on a on a regular day, can you walk me a little bit about uh, through how your actual like day at your at the university during the semester goes? Sure. So let me pick a sample day. Let me pick Tuesday. Tuesdays are nice. So I wake up in the morning. I I bike to school, which I love. I get there at about uh, 8.30, we'll say, and my first class is at 9.25. So for that first hour, I sit in my office and I do my what I call my email text message sweep, which is I go through all my text messages and emails from the day before and make sure I responded to all of them appropriately because sometimes things get lost in the shuffle. So I usually do that for about 20 minutes. And then I look at what I'm going to teach that day. So my 925 class is calculus. So by 9 o'clock, I'm sitting there looking at my lesson plan, which I've already written up. Um, So I'll sit there and I just kind of flip through the pages. It's usually about a six-page stapled together handwritten thing that I put together at some point in my life. And maybe I'm teaching... I don't know, last week I was doing some stuff with composition of functions, new functions from old. So I casually flip through this thing and look at, like, what are some examples I want to do? And I think about, oh, maybe maybe I'll change this example to that. And I write myself some little notes in red on the page, make sure I'm ready for class. And at 9.25, I go down and teach. So I teach for an hour and 15 minutes. And that's, you know, sitting in front of a room teaching. We've all seen that before. After I teach... I go back to my office, I try to write down any notes of anything that happened in class that's important to me. So for example, I reuse my lecture notes year to year, 
But after class, if something went really well or went really poorly, I'll make a little note in the margin on my lecture notes, like, oh, definitely do this, or oh, horrible example, never use again. And then from 11 until one o'clock, I have my office hours. So this means I sit there with my door open and students can drop in with questions. And some days there's a line down the block of people to see me, and some days nobody comes. Usually there's a strong correlation with how much homework they have due that week, right? So I can kind of I can kind of guess week to week when my office hours are going to be really packed. So this is students from any of my classes. So I'm teaching calculus, discrete math, and number theory. And they'll come in with homework questions or just general course questions or whatever, any any kind of stuff they come by with. That lasts till one o'clock. And then at one o'clock they're over and I have until 1.40 to go source some lunch in some way. So I usually run over to the cafeteria, grab some lunch very quickly, zip back to my office and sit down and do the same thing now for discrete math that I did for calculus in the morning. Namely, I sit there with my lecture notes, which are already written up from maybe the day or two before, and I'll just flip through them kind of slowly for about 10 minutes just to familiarize myself with what I'm teaching so that none of the definitions come as a surprise and I can kind of suss out which examples are going to be difficult and not and um, get just to get a good lay of what the class is going to look like. I prefer to not look at my lecture notes when I'm teaching just because then it, it comes across as a little bit dull, I think. So then at 1.40, I go down to teach my discrete math class. And that lasts for an hour and 20 minutes. So I'm teaching, talking about logic and biconditional statements and all that. And after that class, I go back up to my office. And now, let's see, this brings us to 2.55. I do the same thing. I write down any little notes of things that happened in class that might be important or maybe some certain aspect that I wasn't able to cover so I can remember to cover it next time. And at three o'clock, I have a meeting with one of my research students. So I have two undergraduates working for me right now. They're kind of my, I guess technically they're called my research assistants, but they are doing their own research projects that I put them on. And I meet with each of them for about an hour a week, more or less, depending on what kind of needs they have for the week. So I meet with him for about an hour. And he just tells me about what he's been thinking and what's confusing. And I usually uh, work through some things with him and maybe just give him a gentle nudge in the right direction. And off he goes. And that brings us to maybe four o'clock. And then my day is done. Well, sort of. And then I start thinking about what needs to happen tomorrow. So then I'll start maybe pulling out lesson plans for the next day and seeing what I need to plan, what's already planned. And... I'm a big folder person. I have like different colored folders for every class. So I just kind of do the folder sweep and make sure that there's like something to teach the next day in every folder. And depending on my energy level, if I'm feeling really good at four o'clock, then I'll say like, let's do some research now. So right now I'm working on an NSF proposal, which is due on October 9th. And basically that fills in all the spare cracks. So from four until about six, I would sit there and work on the proposal. Because that's something I can do with that level of exhaustion. It's, it's reasonable to work on an NSF proposal. So that's what I would do in the evening. And then eventually I'd go home. <laughs> Sounds great, right? <laughs> so how much, how much of your time are you, you actually doing 
mathematics. I and I'm assuming that it probably changes from the semester time and not semester time. Well, it changes, yeah, semester, semester, and day to day. So Tuesdays are particularly harsh, right? You can see that I'm basically from the moment I get there until the moment until four o'clock. It's basically nine to four. My time is completely booked, right? But take a different day, for example, Friday, I don't teach at all. So Friday, I'm doing math all day long, right? So Friday, I'm working on a paper right now, and I'm trying to write some code for this paper. So I'll just be sitting there writing theorems on the board and working on scratch paper and actually doing math, sitting there thinking, which usually looks like me sitting in my chair with my feet up on my desk, staring at my board with kind of a grim look on my face. So that happens on Fridays. It happens on Mondays as well. Mondays I have a particularly light load. So I would say of my week, what do we have? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all of Friday, most of Monday is spent doing math. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I do very little math. That leaves a lot of time for not like doing literal math things, but how much time do you spend doing not math and also like not teaching and teaching related things. How much of your time are you spent doing uh, like admin and meetings and stuff like that? Mm. Very little, actually. Very little. So my, there's not a tremendous amount of service time dedicated to meetings at my university, but the time that I consider as service time, I spend a lot of time working on like doing math reviews and I'm active in the AWM. So I'm uh, meeting with them committees on the, for the AWM and some work that I do for the AMS, like blogging for the AMS and social media stuff. So I think that my service time, a lot of that is spent doing not in-house stuff, but kind of out of house service to the profession. What about uh, math that is not directly work or even like your your normal like uh conference and and paper writing type things is there is there any math type things that you do for fun he asks in a very leading manner <laughs> well this this is probably yeah let me think what i consider is the math that i do for fun is the advising of undergraduate math research. I find it to be not only tremendously fun, but tremendously rewarding. So I'm in a position that I can kind of handpick students to work for me that are very, very good, very strong mathematicians and hard workers. So I know what I'm getting into. And the work that they're doing, it's tangential to my research, but it's not like my actual line of research. So it's not got that stressful gravitas attached to it that my own research does. So I find the meetings that I have with my research students are always, they buoy me sort of. They, I'm always feeling really excited and like, I'm eager to hear what they've been learning. I'm eager to hear what they've been doing. And, and they're like scratching away at these little problems, not little problems, they're interesting problems, but they're, you know, scratching away at these problems. And it's an exciting departure from my week. To hear what they've been up to so that's the most fun <clears throat> I, I meant I your podcast <clears throat> oh oh <laughs> like that <laughs> hey 
See, I don't. I can't even remember what I know. It's so hard. Oh. Very leading. Very leadingly. Uh, ask me again. <laughs> you you could just talk about it. Okay. Yes, there's something that I do. So actually, yes, I co-host a podcast with my best friend, Annie Roram. She's a policy associate at the Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia. We co-host a podcast called The Other Half, and it is an exploration of the math that you see in your everyday life. So it's for it's a podcast that's intended for not math enthusiasts, maybe even the math phobic, to just exhibit how much math there is in your everyday life and how you can really use mathematics to deal with commonplace issues like racism, segregation, travel logistics, patent law, you know, the really fun stuff. So that's something that we, we work on and we, we spend a fair amount of time each week going back and forth, talking about new topics and um, it's really fun. And and that just uh, so happens to be a uh, a sibling podcast to uh, Relatively Prime because it is on the Acme Science Network. I'm not sure that I even mentioned the name just now. The podcast is called The Other Half. And if you're interested, you can find it on iTunes or at our website, theotherhalf.acmescience.com. There you go. You, you need you need to get really used to just slipping that into conversation. I know. I'm 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 bad at this. <laughs> You 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 get you get used to it as it yeah. as it goes along. Uh, it, and do you do you do any uh, sort of like like in your downtime when you're winding down? Do you find yourself doing a lot of like recreational mathematics? You doing like little little arithmetic tricks in order to find to better go to sleep? <laughs> well, they don't help me go to sleep. A few things that I do do is that I have a. Feedly account that's populated entirely by math blogs, and I like to read that when I wake up. So when I have my morning coffee, I like to see what all the math bloggers have been blogging about all night. That's that's really fun to just get me in the zone. And sometimes I like to do the uh, MAA minute math. It's it's a lot of fun when I'm when I have like big research time, and I'm feeling maybe bogged down by my own research. I'll just go do minute math, and I feel very accomplished. Although I think they're intended for high school students. Nevertheless, the problems are always really fun. So it's just, they're like fun little puzzles. And uh, yeah, I, I, do, I do a lot of mathematical reckoning in my head all day, every day. Probably way more than is normal. But it's just, maybe I don't really notice that I'm doing it. Uh, Anna, thank you so much for walking me through what your day is, days are like and what your job is. Yeah, you're welcome, Samuel. Thank you so much for talking to me. And now for a counterpoint, let's hear from a mathematician who works at a company that I guarantee you've heard of. I'm Kristen Lauder, and I am a principal researcher and research manager for the cryptography research group at Microsoft Research. Hey, uh, so uh, if you could uh, start by telling me uh, what it is that you do at Microsoft Research. Well, I'm a full-time researcher and research manager at Microsoft Research, and I manage the cryptography research group. Cryptography is very important for internet security and e-commerce, and is a fundamental 
area of research of importance to Microsoft Research. So I do both cutting-edge, kind of state-of-the-art research on crypto systems, both trying to improve the state-of-the-art of crypto systems and also to understand cryptanalysis, the, the um, best-known attacks on these systems. And this type of research is important for Microsoft from the point of view of deploying the best possible solutions for protecting our products and our internet communication. Uh, beyond, beyond doing this research, what are your other responsibilities at work? Well, I'm a research manager, which means I manage a team of researchers. I interact with other research managers and leadership within, within the company. We also, as part of our job, we have the opportunity to interact with other parts of the company, product groups who may be interested in using our technology, interact with engineers and engineering teams to try to build solutions that could be useful to the company. So in addition to my research role, there's a, certainly an active management and interaction with other parts of the company. But in addition, we're academic researchers the way normal professors at universities are as well. So there's a large component of my work which has to do with service activities, attending conferences, doing reviews and, and program chairs for conferences, things like that. So I have a large component of my job is, is quite similar to what a researcher at a university would be doing as well. Now, beyond, beyond these like management and, and going to conferences and things, what are the things that your day is usually actually uh, filled up with? Like the, the things that you, like when you get into the office that you actually start to do? Well, that actually changes over the course of the year. Different time periods are, during the year are different and different years has been different than others. So one thing that happens in the summer is, is that we have a lot of interns that come from uh, graduate programs to come and do internships at Microsoft Research. So we typically have a lot of graduate students around in the summers. The kind of the size of our uh, group usually at least doubles due to research interns in the summer. And we actually, I, I spend a lot of time just meeting with interns and working, working together on the projects that we've selected. Another thing that I'll, I'll do is meet, meet with other researchers within either my group or within Microsoft Research, either for management reasons or for collaboration reasons. And the same goes for meetings that I have with people from product teams or other segments of the company. So I think maybe one thing that's quite different from being in academia is, is that we use Outlook as our email and scheduling client. And my, my schedule from at least, you know, kind of nine to five or nine to six every day is typically filled up with, with meetings. And unfortunately, it's not quite as regular as having kind of a, a professor's schedule of teaching classes and having office hours where you have just, you know, a few things scheduled every week and then you have quite a lot of other free time. Most of my weeks are very, very scheduled. So if you look on my Outlook calendar, you can see I go from one meeting to the next. I sometimes lament the fact that, I, you know, if I start the day running five minutes behind, then every meeting that I have all day, I, I start five minutes late. And so it kind of always gives me the feeling of being very busy, very scheduled, and often frequently running a little bit late. <laughs> 
So how much of your time do you think you're actually spending doing mathematics? Well, again, that's something that has changed over time. So one thing that's important to note is, is that I do research in both mathematics and computer science. So I'm in a computer science research lab, and cryptography is a discipline that spans both areas. So uh, some of the research I do is, is truly number theory. Some is truly computer science, either CS theory or crypto protocols work. And some of it is in between. Quite a lot of it is kind of computational number theory or algorithmic number theory having to do with kind of efficiency improvements or attacks on crypto systems, that kind of thing. So I would say I've, I've looked at this at various times, you know, kind of a snapshot at various points in my career. And I think what is certainly true probably for most people that are at roughly my stage of the career is, is that I've gotten so much kind of management and administrative and service-related duties to the community that uh, it diminishes the amount of time that I have just for doing research. But uh, I would say probably 40 to 50 percent of my time is still devoted just to doing research or writing, writing up my research results. And Microsoft researchers publish very actively and are judged on a year-to-year -year basis based on their publications. So I have a very active research profile publishing anywhere between five and ten papers a year typically and when you're when you're doing this mathematics and computer science research or how are you actually doing it like is it is a lot of it uh, collaborative stuff is a lot of it at a whiteboard or a chalkboard is a lot of it just in front of a computer oh well that's a good question so I that's one of the things that I love about Microsoft research and also about being in the computer science field is is that all, almost all of the research is very collaborative. For example, with interns, I'll typically work in my office and we'll write on a whiteboard. I also collaborate quite a bit over Skype with, with external colleagues. There it's harder to use a whiteboard to collaborate, but we're able to, you know, by hook or by crook, send information back and forth across the video camera. Um, internally at meetings with other researchers, we'll often be in a conference room and then write on the whiteboard as needed in order to flesh out ideas. So it's, it's almost entirely collaboration. And I also, because of my area, would sometimes rely on doing a few computations. So I'd have Hari or Sage, you know, open on my uh, laptop or desktop and would just type in a few commands and different examples, checking out how things happen. So both writing, writing on a whiteboard and looking things up on the web for references and actively doing computations with computer software packages. That's typically what the research would consist of. So when you're doing things that are not mathematics, I mean, you mentioned that you're in, you're in a lot of meetings and, and uh, things like that. How, how much of your time do you think is, is like devoted to more uh, kind of maintenance-related tasks like email checking and things like that? Well, I have come to believe that I'm, I'm not alone in the absolute email deluge that's plaguing <laughs> our profession and many other uh, professional uh, occupations. So I literally, I think it's partly because I'm overcommitted in terms of my service activities because of my role as president of the Association for Women in Mathematics, uh, other service within the mathematical community combined with a lot of service within the cryptography community from, you know, program committees to program chair, conferences that I co-organize, things like that. 
I have an absolute email deluge that I'm always behind. I have hundreds of messages come in every week that I absolutely cannot answer. So I'm kind of always on an emergency basis of what, what I can answer. And that also has partly to do with the fact that my schedule is so full. I have a full-time schedule working all day, and then I also have kind of a, at least a half or a full-time job every day to answer the email that came in. So the reality is that most of that email just absolutely cannot get answered unless I work all night as well as all day. I, I'm, I'm starting to uh, feel a little bit bad about taking time away from all of your work <laughs> here. Uh, it, so uh, I was wondering uh, if you could walk us through one of your day's schedules. Okay, so I, I'll pick Monday since I've just uh, been looking at my calendar for Monday. So I have a nine o'clock interview with someone from the press who's doing exploratory interviews for a news story. And then I have a 11 o'clock meeting with colleagues in the quantum algorithms group about an ongoing collaboration that we have. And then at one o'clock, I have a meeting with some staff support within our PR division to help improve uh, my group's internal and external web pages to help people be able to kind of access the information about what what my group is working on. And then I have a meeting with a program manager who's helping me to manage some relationships with product groups. And then I have another meeting at 2.30 with an intern, which is basically a collaboration meeting. And then I have another meeting with a group, which includes one of my interns and some of my colleagues in the machine learning group and an engineering support staff that we've been collaborating with. So that's kind of a collaboration meeting. It's a bi-weekly meeting. We meet twice a week. And then I have a new kind of exploratory meeting. I think it's at 4.30 with another colleague in, in the d- database area that we're kind of exploring opportunities for a new collaboration. So I think that's kind of representative of the range of things that I would be doing during a day. It has to do with a lot of collaboration, but collaborations that are of, at different stages and, and of different natures of, with you know, different types of people. That is, that is definitely a lot of work. and that's monday (laughs) yeah and and you know living living my my idyllic little podcasting life that that sounds that's so much stuff uh you mentioned you mentioned too that you you are the president of the awm the association for women in mathematics Uh, and so could you tell me a little bit about uh the the work that you do there like like what what does being president of the awm encompass Oh, well, thanks for asking. So, first of all, having the opportunity to serve as president of the AWM has really been one of the most rewarding experiences of my professional career. And it's something that I'm truly thrilled about. So, if I characterize it as a lot of work, it is a lot of work, but I'm not complaining. I'm very happy to be able to be engaged in this manner. Honestly, it's more work than I thought it would be because it is a huge organization more than 4,000 members. When I looked at the number of committees, active committees that we have of primarily professional women mathematicians volunteering, we have more than 100 volunteers serving on our committees. So just think about even just managing 
a portfolio of, of committees with that many volunteers serving on them. Um, so that's just an ongoing task is making sure that we are staffing our committees with appropriate people. And these are committees that are doing anything from selecting prize winners. We give a number of research prizes. We give prizes associated with teaching and professional service. We give a pri prize to undergraduates. We interact with all the other professional mathematical societies, MAA, AMS, SIAM, and other professional societies, for example, doing jointly sponsored lectureships at the main meeting. So there's a lot of kind of routine maintenance like that. But I also have a lot of new initiatives that I've been pushing. So things like trying to get corporate sponsors for the organization. We run events like our biannual research symposium. So doing the planning for events like that. Um, we're launching a new initiative to engage uh, more directly with governments to argue on behalf of diversity in science. So setting up new initiatives. Anyway, I, I could probably just go on and on and on, but I sometimes have weeks that are actually dominated by AWM service activities. But then I also have to kind of push it aside at times in order to get other things done, such as my research and my uh, obligations to uh, my employer. Is there uh, is there any, I, I guess, sort of um, mathematics that, that you engage in that you engage in for fun during your week? Oh, well, I would have to say that the collaborations that I have chosen to work on, you know, that are primarily, you know, math or computer science, but on the problems that are within my own research agenda, I consider all of those fun. So these are problems that I'm truly motivated by that I think are important problems. And whether it's me thinking about them and making progress, or if it's me just interacting with my interns or catching up on what my interns or collaborators are doing, I consider all of that really fun. But honestly, I can say that I don't do anything that's kind of recreational. I, I don't think I don't, it's been years since I had time to just kind of fool around with a problem or an area that I, I was not seriously engaged in. And that's something that I hope for when I retire is, is that I will have more time to just think about interesting areas of mathematics that are not directly relevant to my current mission. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for walking me through the work that you do. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I want to thank Anna and Kristen for giving me their time to help us better understand exactly what it is that mathematicians do all day. And I need to apologize to them for making their interviews coexist with what I'm about to put in your earbuds. And while I'm at it, I want to say that I'm sorry to you as well. Really, I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you the triumphant return from the podcast graveyard of the best podcast to ever combine pitches for frozen slushy businesses and differential equations. Combinations and permutation! I'm a pepper, you're a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. Would you like to be a pepper too? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Well, thank you. You just gave me my intro. <laughs> I don't believe you. Hello.
Hello, I'm your host Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to a special Relatively Prime edition of Combinations and Permutations. On today's episode, I bring back your favorite Combinations and Permutations guests to check in and see what exactly it is they do all day as mathematicians. And not only that, I made them tell me without using Wikipedia. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the mathematical podcast that is one last time coming to you from the mailroom in CDC Building 7 here at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. That is right, everyone. We're back. Uh, so I guess that means that once again I have to introduce everyone, and so I guess first up, uh, you know, I'm just going to go in order of when they first appeared on one of these podcasts. So uh, I have a panelist that was on the very first show, the very, very first show, and if any of Gosh. you want to be very, very annoyed at poor audio quality, I suggest you go back and listen to this guy's voice on that first episode, <laughs> Mr. Nathan Rowe. Ah, um, thank, thank you, everybody, for your excitement. Uh, it's good to be here. Good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone who joined us like twenty or thirty episodes in. I don't know. I don't really care. Really he have, he kind of he kind of hates me, and he sort of always has. Uh, Mister Brandon Metz. Only slightly, Sam. I wouldn't say. Brandon, lean forward. Wouldn't say. It's Sean, like I it, it, you. Our, our next, our 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 final guest is trying to take a, a take a picture of all of us. So it's, we all need to lean forward. We're gonna this is the it. first on-air selfie we've ever done. <laughs> Selfies weren't a thing back back when we used to. Uh, so, so the person who just who just took a picture uh, joined us quite late on, like years, years, literal years into the show, and two now of them. that's how you two. pluralize yeah. <laughs> two years. Uh, and now, and now, as far as I can tell, uh, is is still a grad student, but essentially just only rides his bike all the time. Mr. Sean Breckman. how's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Every time on Combinations Presentations, we have some sort of a topic. And I don't tell the guests what the topic is, because why should I let people be prepared and ready to talk about a subject? Yeah, that is that is how it works. Cycle like times. But, but I don't know if any of you have noticed, I don't have a computer in front of me right now. Which means that the topic that we're going to talk about is not on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is kind of out of the ordinary for us. So the topic on, on this episode is... What do mathematicians do? Uh, and which is why I want to talk to all of you, because all of you are not mathematicians. mathematicians. You are all mathematicians. You always pick topics we don't know anything about. <laughs> you see, we're all mathematicians, but it depends so on who true. you ask. If you ask my mom, I'm a mathematician. If you ask anyone on my committee, eh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, so so you, are, you are maybe, since you don't have a piece of paper uh, from a graduate program yet. You are maybe the person who is least likely to qualify themselves as a mathematician, but you are. You do mathematics as a job. And as far as I'm concerned, in my mind, that is what a mathematician is, is that is someone who who gets paid to do mathematics. And I'm, I'm holding here right now uh, Nathan Rowe's business card, which says Nathan Rowe, mathematician. So I guess that means that we're going to start with Nathan. Nathan? Uh, what yeah. do you do? Yeah, what do you do, Nathan? Very little math. 
but but I mean honestly, what is like we don't need to get into this question. But as as we've defined on seventy some episodes of this show, mathematics is essentially anything. <laughs> okay, good. Question, yeah. <laughs> all right, so all I do is math. What are you doing? So, so Nathan, like, you you don't you don't work in you're not an academic. No. So so you no. work in industry. So Last so tell us about about like the industry you work in. What you do? Like what your day to day actually is? Um, somehow I, I I mostly do the work of a software engineer. Um, so I'm I'm writing I'm writing code in in C sharp C plus plus really algorithmic code. Usually things that the other the other people couldn't do because it was a little bit too mathy. So whenever math gets involved in algorithms, <laughs> then I get them. And so I think of them as the fun problems. Everybody else thinks of them as terrifying. Um, so, it's a bunch of babies. And that's and that's what I did in my previous job, which Sean's doing now, I guess. Kind of. So, <laughs> so uh, it's so like, but yeah. what like the industry you're in? Like, what is it? Like, what is like? What are some of these problems? Okay, so right, I currently work for a 3D printing company called Full Spectrum Laser or FSL 3D, and I do computational geometry type of stuff that that such as um, ca- calculating the volume of a three dimensional object that's defined by a triangular mesh. Sean, uh, Nathan mentioned that uh, he used. He used to do a job that you now do, and and so you do two different jobs. Because since you're still a student, you're still doing research for your dissertation, mm-hmm. but you also are working in industry. So if you start start talking about uh, first off your industry, uh, work. Oh. All right, I work at a small company called Telesecurity Sciences. Uh, we're like Woo! Eight, yeah, we're like eight nine <laughs> oh, people <shit>. total. Uh, <laughs> We do a lot of things, but a lot of it boils down to an area of expertise that the CEO and the CTO have, and that's in um, X. Basically, it's just in X-ray imaging. There, uh, but that spans a lot of industries. So we have contract work in defense. That, uh, and, and I use defense loosely. It's for the TSA. We do a lot of things that are even just barely related to that work. Like I just spent a year with a couple of guys writing software that just converts file formats for those machines. I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's ladies and gentlemen, major in math. It's very exciting. Uh, but they, w- the company also does a lot of work with, uh, healthcare, uh, like health imaging. So like, uh, there's lots of different ways that like x-ray CT scans. Like, oh yeah. Cause I mean, you have, you have x-ray, you have CT, you have MRI, you right. have a, like, we uh, only deal with X-ray. Of, okay. We really only deal with X-ray. But actually, I mean, when I was there, before Sean was there, that same company did work with some of the full body scanners, but the okay. X-ray based full body scanners that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, so it's like that's the CT, yeah. and like I myself wrote, like I looked at a lot of naked humans, and I wrote a crotch detection algorithm to try and Boy, to try and it's... localize, like because that's one of the key. I mean, where the legs connect is an important like joint in the body where we're thinking. And so I wrote an algorithm based on you know convolving with some crazy V-shaped kernel and. Oh. And I found I found those crotches. I although although it, crotches it sounds fascinating. But that is staying in. This is what they call machine learning. Right? <laughs> so, so like, right now, what are you, what are you working on currently? Uh, right now, I am doing mostly uh, proposal writing uh, and report writing for an NIH grant that the company received. Yeah, that's that's what my I guess my uppercase P professional work. Uh, so so then what do you 
<laughs> what do you say you do here? <laughs> I work with people. <laughs> which, which incidentally is what I do. Like, <laughs> so then, so then, as a still as a grad student, which is, I mean, it, that's a that's a major part of any mathematician's life. Like, it, it really is. Like, if you're going to be a mathematician, you are going to be a grad student at some point. Uh, so, uh, what about what are you doing uh, as a as a grad student right now? All of those things I just said are completely irrelevant to what I do as a student. Uh, I my research is in uh, numerical analysis of fluid flow models, and there are, there are lots of different paradigms. Uh, many many listeners might be familiar with the Navier Stokes model, which is the physical model for not incompressible fluid flow. So incompressible Navier Stokes is where I is where I do a lot of my work. But there's uh, depending on the problem that you're trying to model, you use a different paradigm, uh, a, a different model, so to speak. Uh, so if uh, because doing numerical analysis on Navier Stokes uh, for any real problem is actually an incredibly expensive uh, endeavor. It's a uh, computation. Honestly, expensive. don't care about any of this. What do you actually do day to day? Like I, like I'm really wondering oh, okay. about like what your actual right. like so day to day. Is since like. my work is numerical analysis, typically what we do is we, we decide on one of those large eddy simulation models, which is where all my research is. Uh, we decide on one of the models. Once we have a model, then what we do is we pick numerical schemes, and then what I do is I go around with different uh, kind of baseline problems, really. Uh, standard problem. So what I do is I run a whole bunch of different schemes under a whole bunch of different settings and I just report the results. Okay, That's what so, I do. so so what you're saying is that you run a computer program and you put those results into Excel and then you show them to somebody. So what the thing is a lot of these take so long to do that I actually have to commandeer half the computers in this office building. <laughs> And I've done that. I've got half of these office buildings just churning out results for me. I've got, I'm remote logging into computers all across the country that friends of mine have donated that I have just been running simulations. I got a buddy of mine in Canada who has a computer, he's got a couple old iMacs just that are still fast enough for me to run my simulations on. So I log into these things remotely and he keeps sending me messages like, my kids are amazed at the swirls. Okay, so uh, all, all joking aside, Brandon, what the f- I, like honestly, I have not talked to you for four years. Uh, I believe you got some sort of advanced degree now. Uh, so, uh, what is it that you do? So I divine. I divine. Go on. <laughs> he divines. <laughs> yes. Divines. Just say. Just say. Uh, you find. You know. I find just, water in the desert. No. <laughs> Your water divining now. <laughs> no, no, no. What I meant to say is that I I, I design mathematical models for slot machines. That's that's really what I do. Okay, so you're Excel, like, so you're long. a professional asshole. Well, yeah. I mean, we try to keep the players' interest right. in mind and what's fun for them. But so, so there. Oh, sorry. Do you have just? Uh, do you, do you just do the math models? Do you have any say into like the game? Itself? No, no, no. We also yeah. We also actually have ask. We also get to give our input into the actual game design. Ooh. Okay. So, so can you do? A so who designed Kitty Glitter? That's my favorite one. I, Kitty Glitter actually, is amazing. Actually, I'm into Pink Diamond. <laughs> guys, guys, I got a better one. We all went to school in guys, Las Vegas. You, guys, <laughs> you, were, you were talking about some amateur hour slot machines here. Are you all about you? the sex in the city? No. <laughs> guys, will you just calm down and listen? This is very important. I saw the greatest slot machine of all time. Are you prepared for Roar Shark Riches? 
What? <laughs> I have not seen this one. I've seen a lot. Roar shark riches. So it's roar like shark. a shark with a roar shark. Okay, okay. So Sharknado, roar shark riches. Continue. So guys, roar shark riches. All right. So so it's like roar shark test. Roar shark ink blots. Right. Yeah. If you line right. up all the different ink blots, like those are different ways, different combos. Like I don't know what that means. Like. Like, I, you know, I, I, I think I have this no idea might be the best designed slot machine ever because no one can look at it and be like, I should have, I I don't know You're I should have won. You're know, schizophrenic at the end. Listen, and you, don't, you, you came into it perfectly healthy. We, I, play, I play some of these slot machines, right? We're, we're expected to go out and play and, and study our competitors' products. And I'll play some of these and I'm like, That's, why is this not paying? There's like 400 lines here. Why is it not playing? Why am I not winning anything? It's just... What's, what's your day-to-day? Like, when, when you go through, like, what do you do for designing these things? Well, most of the time, I it, it's all probability. So, it, sometimes it can get pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, but... I don't, like, once again, not but the again, math. Like, well, tell, tell uh, me what you're okay. actually doing. All right, all right. Well, shut up. Shut up, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so it most was times, a matter of time. He's definitely like, Rorschach so, Riches. That's so the problem one had to so say. So, sometimes, <laughs> I go in, and I sit down, I, I stare at Excel for, like, eight hours a day. Okay? It's just staring at Excel, doing very basic probability calculations for the most part. There's some interesting, there's some interesting things, but most times I sit there, I, I figure out exactly what this game, what this mechanic requires. So like, how how expensive is this mechanic for the game? Right? You have so much in and so much out, and so all the casino, all slot machines have to have a have a negative expected value. They have to. You need the house needs its advantage. Yeah. So it's my job to design these games with that in mind and to keep them within, you know, regulations and ba- and the correct bounds that there are. Now, these can range anywhere from 85% return to player um, to anything up to, I think New Jersey maxes out at 98. I think they're the highest that you can go. In the end, it's just finding expected values. Like, I do that like 40 times in a row. It's So, now, that's not to say there isn't some exciting ones. Sometimes there's actually, someone actually recently used a hypergeometric probability distribution and i don't even remember the game what game it was but they actually had to they actually had to look that up i had to use catalan numbers at one time um so there's some there's some higher level stuff in there yeah. but it, most of the time it's just me si- finishing these problems because they're very simple and just waiting and looking like i'm busy now someone asked me <laughs> someone asked me what i do no one cares, Sam. Sam, um, please don't tell us what you do. Uh, let's let's talk more about what I do. No, no. Better yet, let's let us let us make let's combine these fields and make, we'll some, go, we'll make go some amalgamation. Of okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk I, about what I do. The three of us oh, will I, take turns guessing what I you do. I just have a better, yeah. I have a more oh, important first question. <laughs> Nathan, are you happy with what you do? Uh, only medium. Brandon, are you thrilled and happy with what you do? It varies from day to day. How do you feel? Sounds today? like a medium. Today feels pretty good. Okay. That's good. Good's good. I had a good day too, but Sean, yeah. how do you feel about what you do? I can't wait to be done with school. <laughs> I cannot yes. wait, guys out there in Radio Land. I can't wait to be done with school. And when I am done, if you're listening to this and <laughs> you happen to be the chairperson of a math department at maybe a four-year university, you should consider hiring me. Anyway, it, well, on that for. I just forgot everyone's name. Uh, for <laughs> Sean Breckling, Brandon Metz, and Nathan Rowe, I am Samuel Hansen. This is Combinations and Permutations, or Relatively Prime, or I don't even know. I don't remember at this point. It's uh, not Radio Lab. <laughs>
<laughs> it's not Radio Lab. What about uh, This American Life? It's probably not This American Life. <laughs> I guarantee it's not This American Life. <laughs> Nor is it Serial on the Media, 99% Invisible, it Love and Radio. It might be WTF with Mark Maron. It, it is not WTF with it Mark Maron. It's not Bullseye. It's not George Jessica. It's not Stop, po- Stop Podcasting Yourself. It's not The Heart. It's not any of the hundred other podcasts like You Look Nice Today, I could name right now. This is Combinations of Permutations, and I want to wish you all a matherific week. Oh, no, no. Bye. Jacob Friedman from San Francisco, and that is all the time that we have today for this episode of Relatively Prime. I would like to thank Jess Charlton, Gabriel Sequerios, Mike Wolf, Jen Bokoff, Anna Hench, Kristen Lauder, Nathan Rowe, Brandon Metz, and Sean Breckling for appearing on the show. If you would like to know more about them, please go to relprime.com and check out the show notes for this episode. I also want to thank the musicians Red Shirt Beats, lowercase n, and sb12 for the music you heard. You can also find links to more music from them on relprime.com. Relatively Prime is a production of Acme Science and Samuel Hansen with support from all of his wonderful backers on Kickstarter, like me. If you would like to help support Relatively Prime, head over to the website and click on the support button. And trust me, Samuel would be very happy if you did. You can also head over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. That is how their algorithm decides rankings, and the higher Rel Prime is ranked, the more people will see the show. If you have any feedback or you just want to say hello to Samuel, you can send him an email at his personal account. Really, this is his everyday email account. Samuel at acmescience.com. Finally, Relatively Prime is licensed with a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license, so please feel free to remix Samuel's voice to say whatever you like, as long as you say that those words came originally from Relatively Prime. Thank you for listening, and have a math week. <laughs>